We gotta go to the bullpen. Welcome to the Highland Bullpen, the all-new podcast bringing America's pastime to Scotland shores. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer heading for Cooperstown or you're fresh out of the minor leagues, this is the podcast for you. So hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Highland Bullpen. And just for your confusion today, this evening, this morning, whenever you're listening, I'm solely joined by the two Daves. So I will variously refer to Dave and ask him to come and answer a question. And both of them will look equally bemused uh, or they will both jump in at the same time. Uh, But I'm sure we'll manage to get this rolling well. And no doubt the fact we're rolling well is one of the reasons that Dave Senior has now become an international podcast star and was recently invited to feature on our friend Rob Fontenot's Astros podcast. So do you want to tell us a wee bit about that, Dave, and how the Yorkshire accent was welcomed in Texas? (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, they do like uh, British accent, I think probably the Scottish accent would be even even better, but... um, Yes, yeah, I, it was just sort of um, Saturday lunchtime. And I was just lazing around, one those sort of uh, a bit dishevelled, and uh, just got this direct message on on Twitter from Rob. I, I, I must, I think I've referred to him as Rob Fontenot before, but it's Rob Fontenot. Yeah, it, I guess it would be that French silent T. Yeah, French would it be? Yeah. I almost said to him, but I wasn't sure whether, you know, it just sort of came to me at the time, but uh, Rob Fontenot is fun to know. <laughs> well uh, done. Well probably done. just as well I didn't say that, actually. So, uh, yeah, so I got this. He said um, uh, that he wanted to record um, a podcast. We follow each other on Twitter and we have engaged quite a bit offline, uh, you know, you know um, non-baseball stuff. He's recently got married and, you know, it's an all-around good guy, so... Uh, he just said, do you want to join me if you're not doing anything? So I sent him a message back saying straight away, yeah, okay. And he set it up and um, we um, we talked for about 45 minutes and then wrapped it and uh, <laughs> got a message back saying that, unfortunately, he's the sound at his end. I don't think he has um, internet he don't, connection or not a very good one. So in his normal podcast, it's the Astro um Astros baseball podcast regular ones he does two or three a week or possibly even more sometimes he does one after every game you know it can be just like a 15 minute summary um I think he does it on his phone so it didn't it couldn't it wasn't broadcastable quality and that's not just because of my input um but so he so we did it again so we just slightly different it was just it went down a different avenue but it was um, it was really really good and uh, you know it's not that we aren't uh, you know, professional on that but he's very experienced and he, he interviews um, uh, people from the Astros organization players uh, <laughs> Bob my favorite Bob Dynamite the guy who drives the train so um, one of your heroes Dave 
He is, he is my hero. And but imagine, you know, he, he got to see him in the flesh. It was like my mate Mike Daly from Glasgow used to, um, he's a sort of a music impresario and he, he used to work at Queen Margaret University and he put on all the acts there and his claim to fame is that uh, he put on Frank Sidebottom a couple of times and he has seen him without his papier-mâché head on. So there you are. So, not anyway, many people have done that. No, no, I was usually in character, wasn't I? What, what do you mean without? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so um, he did send a few topics and we talked about, obviously, the lockout is the, um, the big subject. And since Saturday, I think there's been some encouraging signs, but we yeah. talked about the fact that Due to the lockout, it's going to be a very late spring training. Um, I think uh, I think there were I think the Red Sox wanting to start spring training in the middle of um, February. And Rob said a very interesting thing, which I hadn't um, considered before. But I think when they had that truncated season, the COVID season, they didn't have much of a spring training. There was a lot of players got injured, and you know it's not just a fun game four or five weeks fun games at the spring training in Florida it's actually absolutely necessary for these guys to get as we call it a pre-season you know they need to get fit fully fit match fit um, so that they're ready for what is an incredible slog in it 162 games over whatever yeah. it is six or seven months and um, you know I was thinking back to you know and I sort of jokingly said well Baseball, traditionally, if you go back 50, 60 years, a bit like cricket, it weren't necessarily the toned uh, athletes that they are now. You would get sort of quite big guys, wouldn't you, in cricket and and uh, and, and baseball. But uh, I, think, I think they're a different breed now, aren't they? And uh, But I did speculate. I wonder if some players come back for spring training after their winter break and some have looked after themselves a little bit better than others. Um, <laughs> you know, I remember in, uh, when I was in Edinburgh and the Hibernian Football Club and every season the manager used to get mad with Gordon Hunter who had just done nothing, absolutely nothing over the winter break and would invariably in the first game sort of tweak his groin or something and be out for a couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure all that is... Um, is uh, it's interesting what you say about the sort of um, fitness levels because they're they obviously are athletes. Their their arms, the the when you look when you see the size of their arms, you think these boys have got tree trunks, and that's where their strength comes from. But you do see the odd one who looks a wee bit portly, shall we say, perhaps. But no, no doubt they've the fitness coach will have them training on the right things. I think I think young Dave, you might have some thoughts or knowledge on the injury issues that they potentially have or some facts. Thanks. I figures. thought you were bringing me in to talk about the portly state of affairs, <laughs> Alan. That's, that's kind of you. Um, yeah, again, just having a wee look and a, a bit of listen uh, to some other podcasts over the last few weeks. You know, the lockout is really frustrating all fans, um, regardless of your geographical location. Um, as long as you're a baseball fan, I think it's just pretty frustrating just now. I know it's something that I'll touch on later, but um, a couple of wee points when Dave spoke about injuries. So 
from what I can research, there are 1,200 MLB players just now in the MLB union. Uh, or, there, sorry, there were in 2021. Be and, right, just, yeah. and just to give you an idea, 800 of those spent time in the injured list last season, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, you know, I'll let you do the maths. <laughs> what is one in 10? No, um, so, so, you know, 800 of, of 1,200 players spent time in the injury list. 100, sorry, 99 hamstring injuries, which again, for a sport like that, is, is something something else. And again, on average, players were taking 28 days out uh, to recover from those injuries. On, on average, those 800 are 28 days out? I think that was just for the hamstrings, Alan. The hamstrings, yeah. Um, again, in particular, where this argument was, was coming from is that you did the truncated season in 2020. Yes. So for those of you that kind of weren't familiar, the baseball season was restricted to, I think, around about 60 games in 2021. Going into twenty for 2020 and in 2021 going back to a full season there was some real concerns again highlighted by Dave there in the pitching that players haven't been used to playing for a full season Uh, and I think that was uh, so so again the numbers I've brought in there 800 of 1200 really shows that players injuries players health uh, really need to be taken into consideration so there's real concern around spring training for 2022 Um, Again, some of the just you know the research that I've been doing, pictures, you know, they'll have been working out since December. Quite many of those, either their own backyard, local clubs, or at, at their own sort of facilities, uh, and batters themselves. From what I can see, yes, the the feeling is just now that if a deal can be done by the end of February, that's good news. The sooner the better, uh, and that gives four weeks ahead of opening day. However quite often batters want four weeks of games, let alone actual getting into any sort of good physical condition. So anything, and again, I don't want to spoil anything that we're talking about later, um, but there really is some concerns around health and injuries uh, going into spring training. So sorry, Dave, I didn't mean to hijack that, but I thought it was pertinent to what you were talking about. No, no, that would just completely backed up what um, Rob was saying in actual fact, and it, it does make sense, doesn't it? Because um, you need to be super fit and, you know, they need to uh, have their eye in, so to speak, don't they? Um, so hopefully, that that's the latest news, isn't it? You know, things have moved on a bit from Saturday and uh, I believe they had a meeting yesterday. And um, although they seem to be a long way away from, that can't really possibly go into the ins and outs of the dispute, but um, they have, as you say, set a deadline for the 28th of February for negotiations to be agreed so they can start the season on the 31st of March. So that gives them that sort of four four or five weeks um, spring training. So, and, you know, sort of diplomatic speak, the way that they talk about meetings, I think they talked about the um, the, the language being um, described as productive meeting. So that's a yeah. lot better than we've heard so far. So they're a long way away. I think part of the, the players, one example I saw was that um, this, um, this thing they have about the players before they reach arbitration, 
you know, they can be on their sort of minimum salary, which is not too shabby, 600 grand um, a year, whatever it is. And, um, yeah, but if they break through into the team and all of a sudden they're the best player on the team and there's lots of players doing that, they've no way of negotiating an increase in their salary and they can be the top player on the team. And, you know, one guy's getting 25 million a year and they're getting 600 grand. So they'd offered some sort of pre-arbitration bonus pool and uh, the players are looking for something like a pool of 115 million. The MLB have raised it from 15 million, their offer from 15 million to 20. And uh, the number of players would be eligible for it much less. So they're far apart on the numbers on the face of it. But it sounds to me as though they really almost committed to getting something done. Something's got to be agreed by the end of this month otherwise you know as Rob was saying it's the fans that'll suffer ultimately you know the fans must be sat there shaking their heads uh, you know there's a lot of valid reasons why there's a dispute but um, at the end of the day just the fans just want to see their team playing baseball yeah I'd just turn the conversation maybe to everyone's favourite topic of the, of the Detroit Tigers Dave I've got a couple of things I was going to mention that just our friend Detroit Dave he uh, I don't think he's done this before but he's actually booked a trip to watch spring training this year so hopeful that goes ahead for him and he gets to to see the Tigers down in Florida uh, get some sunshine after the the Michigan winters um, but you also discussed is it the, the Picota rankings with uh, Rob and and both of you came up with um a rather bizarre conclusion as to which of our four teams would finish fourth <laughs> this, this, this season. Do you want to tell us a wee bit about that, maybe? Yeah, he mentioned these uh, Picota ratings, and I think I had heard of them, but I was by no means familiar with them. And I've looked it up since, and uh, it's um, it's an acronym, um, player, it's P-E-C-O-T-A, and player empirical comparison and optimization test algorithm with a rather contrived um, acronym, but uh, there you are. So they rate the players on what they're doing, minute detail and taking into account of not just the normal stats, but um, good luck and bad luck and who they're playing against and and whatnot. Um, And on that basis, they make predictions quite, specific predictions about how a team will progress but uh, you know I tried to have a look today but you need to be uh, subscribed to them um, to to get the information so uh, I didn't bother doing that at this stage but um, if it's going to be useful might have a look Um, but yeah so he read out um, so he we discussed the four teams that we follow on the Highland bullpen and uh, Every, I have to say, he's a good lad, but every time I've mentioned the Tigers, he just had a little grin. And uh, I suppose it's quite a lot. There's quite a, a connection between him. Is it Hinch um, is the manager, isn't there? And there's um, actually some some suggestion that uh, Carlos Correa, um, who's out of contract and he's free agent, the shorts, the incredibly good shortstop. At the Astros, um, you know, might have gone to the Tigers, but he's looking for one of these mega 
contracts, you know, sort of like 300 million plus. So I'm not sure whether the Tigers are in that kind of territory. But yeah, he was saying that the, the Dakota uh, rankings have got the Tigers predicted to win 68 point something games, which both of us just, you know, sort of raised uh, collective eyebrows at that and just thought, well, you know, my initial reaction to that was, yeah, they had a poor start to the season last year, but there was a definite improvement as the season went on. There was a, in fact, there was a sort of a, you'll know better, Al, but um, they had a period where, you know, they really were winning uh, plenty of games. And I think they ended up with was it 77 wins. Yeah, I think they had something like three winning months in the year. Mm. Um, I think given the, how they started in the first few weeks I, I would suggest that was reasonably good and optimism for the future so the rankings would suggest that maybe a, a little bit of a, a backward step for Yeah, I don't, I don't see the logic in that because you know the Gullard manager Pinchers, you know he needs time with his players to get his ideas across they've got some good um young players coming through, haven't they? They've got that prospect Torkelson, I think, is in the news today because he's he can't I don't think he's on the roster, is he? So he can I think the minor league is yeah. can do training. So he That's was right. he was yeah. he was doing quite well. So um so I thought, you know, with all my vast knowledge that um they will improve on last year. So that's and anything above seventy seven, you only need eighty what 82 wins and you've got a winning season so I think they might have a winning season uh, I've don't you know I'm not saying they're going to qualify for the playoffs um, although <laughs> the way things are going there might might be an extended number of teams in the playoffs um, again this season but um, yeah I think his own team he was um, he's quite pleased I mean the Astros if you look at them over the last five years they must be possibly the most successful team in, in baseball in some respects. You know, if you've sort of looked at their five-year, um, you, you know, record. And I think he's got, the um, Dakota had them as 96.9 wins. I suggested we call it 97. That's it's a yeah. fair shout, I think. Yeah. I'm wondering where they're getting the point nine from, but yeah. Well, yeah, that probably shows that they go, you know, they're going into real detail on, on this, but... You know, he was quite pleased with that and he reckons they will be competitive again. There's no yeah. reason to suggest why. But one thing he did say, he said he would be really impressed if they have made that winning prediction with on the assumption that Carlos Correa will not be yeah. an Astro next season, which looks almost certain that he won't be. So, yeah, that was um, very interesting. I can't remember what they were saying about the... the the Red Sox and the Mariners um, in terms of projected wins, but he did ask for for my predictions on the four teams. So. Go on, give us them. All right. Well, I did say that I thought the White Sox would win their division. I think they would continue improving and playing well and be, you know, obviously in the playoffs and be competitive in the playoffs. So that's as far as I went with that. I said the Red Sox would probably be next best and challenging for the playoffs through wild card again, you know, similar to last season. I do like the fact that Alex Cora is a great manager and it depends what happens with um, 
their roster because um, you know I don't think they've acquired anybody as such. And just before the lockout, they lost Erod, didn't they? Did he go at the Tigers? The pitcher. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I thought yeah, Red Sox um, wild card contenders, and then the, the Mariners. Uh, I said, well, you know, they did well last year and weren't far off qualifying themselves. I think a similar season, possibly improvement, and. I reckon, you know, a winning season for the Tigers, maybe just not qualifying for the playoffs this season, maybe another year or two off of that. And he paid me a great compliment and just says, I totally agree with that, Dave. That's exactly what I wrote down as you were talking. Well done, well done. So, young Dave, what's your thoughts on our headline thoughts on the four teams for the season? White Sox back in the playoffs and going a wee step further in 2022? Yeah, you've always got to be really careful and temper that with your own hopes rather than when it's done in paper. Um, but no, I mean, the White Sox suffered a hell of a lot of injuries last year. Uh, as we spoke earlier, every team did. Um, but our ones seemed to be to the guys we were reliant on yeah. at times. Uh, and we had a fantastic run through till around about August. And then I don't know if it's because the division was tied up quite early, um, but I think we the foot came off the gas a little bit. Um, and I think we petered out through the playoffs uh, and hadn't made the splash that we hoped we would. I mean, the Astros are a tough opposition for anyone, but if you're going to if you're going to win the whole thing, you've got mm. to beat the best that's out there. Um, so no, I'm quite, I feel good about the White Sox. We'll see what happens over the coming month, though. Uh, in terms of the other teams that we've got, I know we'll do this as a podcast over the coming weeks. But I quite like the fact I don't think we've got any Diddy teams <laughs> in the uh, from the four of us. at the start of this journey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mariners really, I think, impressed everybody in it. last year. Not just through, I think the Tigers may have been more of a a, a slow rise through yeah. the year, but I think the Mariners were really consistently strong. Um, uh, as I said, the Tigers really impressed us. A pretty sloppy start to the year. Uh, sorry, to the season, and, and came on from there. And the, the Red Sox, I mean, that's just... I find divisions like that really hard to predict because you've got real heavy swingers in there, quite literally. You've got a, a division full of absolute monsters where, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty tough going in there. So the Red Sox are just a, a colossus organisation, a fantastic club. Um, I, I, I would see it... That, very rarely they would let their fans down. I know Dave will you know, maybe jump in there. Um, but a team like that in a division packed full of talent, I think objectively you look at it and you think you could really toss a coin and find anybody in there wins the division. So no, I think that our four teams always hold interest. It's nice if we can all be in, in amongst it in September. But yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think we've got any Haddies in there at all. Yeah, well, let's before the season starts have a, half hour chat on our four teams and uh, have some banter and realistic assessment of what's going to happen. So, yeah, go and give Astros Baseball Podcast a listen. I know we've got our four teams in here, but we enjoy chatting with Rob. He's a good guy. It's a great podcast, covers a lot of baseball stuff, and particularly for Astros fans. Uh, but don't let that put you off. Go for it. Cheers. You mentioned the injuries there for the White Sox. Was there something else you wanted to follow up on on the the, the injury stats you were talking about earlier? 
Uh, it was just a little bit more about the lockout. Um, sure. If uh, kind of open to that. So, again, this time of year, there's no baseball. What tends to happen is every every few years in baseball, there's a, a collecting and a collect bargaining agreement, yeah. and it's really it's it's quite unique. I think it's again as a as a football fan, a Scottish football fan, a, a kind of British football fan, you're used to this is what sports look like. Your season runs from then till then, and, and this is what happens. So I think when you try to acclimatise to a whole other sport, it's it's really quite interesting. So I'm not a fan of uh, basketball or American football or hockey. So I don't quite know if that correlates amongst them all. But I find the whole MLB proposition really fascinating. It's quite it makes for its own drama in kind of different ways. So anyway, this this agreement is signed and negotiated. Um, from what I can see. Uh, you know, they may be signing a contract that lasts four or five years at a time, eight years, um, and can, things move along. And, and it's an, a, a real agreement between players and owners. So what I find really, really interesting is kind of two, two, two points that I, I kind of noted down. We are at this point talking about negotiating millionaires against billionaires here. Yeah. Um, and it's quite hard uh, as a working man, it's quite hard to have a dog in that fight when uh, all we want is baseball. Uh, we might love the players, we might feel like the players because you know we've probably spent our careers fighting against our bosses to get better wages, so we can understand that part of the argument better. But it really comes down to you know you've got millionaires against billionaires there. I think three of the prominent players, quite literally, for the the players' union, are three of the heaviest paid players in the game. Um, so, which is quite an interesting take. The other thing that really, really interests me, and I've not heard anyone talk about this, so I could, <laughs> I could be really wrong here. If you, you know, if Dave or Alan or Richard steps in with your boss to discuss your pay increase and your terms and conditions, you sit opposite your boss, perhaps even two. You've got 30 clubs here or 30 organisations. Um, again, Alan owns the Tigers, Dave owns the Red Sox. Alan could feel that the proposition put across by the players is absolutely fair, but Dave, as the Red Sox owner, does not. I wonder how they get those 30 owners to agree on anything, um, let alone, you know, the players at least have have a structure, they've got a voice, they've got mm. a, a kind of purpose. But the owners, that must be quite quite tricky. And I, I know it's, it's Rob Manfred kind of heads yeah. everything up there. Um, I think it says a lot. <laughs> uh, I think the players really despise the man, the fans despise the man, but the owners love him. And I think that maybe tells you how his negotiations have went. I think he's been involved with MLB for kind of 20, 30 years. Um, I'm trying to put, you know, I've been a business owner before. Um, I'm trying to put that hat on. If you're an owner, you're reluctant to give up any profit as much as you can. And sometimes I think the way that the players are digging their heels in at present, I wonder if that's more a reflection on their willingness to give in and just oh, accept things over the last 15, 20 years because it feels like they've got to a point now. Um, again, from everything that I've read on MLB and I've listened to various clubs' podcasts, um, the players are perhaps being a little bit... At every proposition that's given to them, they're just saying no. And we'll speak to you again in a week's time. Uh, as Dave alluded to earlier, 
there's been a bit of progress this week. They, they've set an agenda, they've set a schedule all this week to talk and to something that hasn't happened. And this blows my mind, considering I've knew for five years this agreement had to be signed. They've got to this point now where they would turn around, someone would say, here's our proposition. The other side would say, no thanks, and we'll see you in a week. And that's been happening over December and you know there was a slight lockout talks. But we've got to this point now where you've got two opposing forces have been putting their statements out on Twitter or social media to you know to kind of show the fans, hey, we're the good guys here, we're, we're just trying to do what's right. Um, and I think that all fans really care about is making sure they've got players and clubs to watch yeah. uh, come opening day at the kind of end of end of March, start of April time. At the moment, you would say, from all that we've heard, it, it feels quite unlikely the opening day would go ahead. Um, the the feeling is that in past seasons, whenever they've had to condense seasons, it's not really worked. Uh, they've tried things like shortened games or double headers, and that's probably not helped players or fans too much. So the feeling is, if they do miss opening day this year, um, they may just miss games rather than catching up on them on them later on. Okay, interesting. One one thing I maybe should say as well, when you talk about um, your own experience as being a business owner, I I can't imagine Rob Manfred or the owners of the Tigers or the Red Sox or the Mariners putting on a golf day as well as you can, Dave. I just, I I can't see it. I can't see the the pre-game entertainment, the during the game entertainment and the post-game entertainment as well would never be beaten by these guys. Thanks, Al. Uh, if you don't mind, there's another couple of points. Uh, I was just looking through my notes there to see what I'd missed. Um, years ago, when these collective bargaining agreements were made, again, you had Alan and Dave that were perhaps family men, and these clubs were family clubs where you know, it was more personable making that, that negotiation, making that agreement over the table. These 30 organisations now are businesses. They are made to, you know, it's very hard to, to negotiate with these people uh, and they've been used to kind of having their own way for so many years. And again, it's, it's not their fault if they've, if the other side agreed to it along, along the years, then, you know, they can make more money. That's great. However, where I do worry is that you have the other main sports in America and you've got upcoming sports like you know, soccer seems to be making a bit of headway into America. Um, my fear would be that baseball is fast slipping behind a lot of other sports. Uh, again, I'm not an American football fan, but from what I can see, and I, I tried tried that again this year, they, again, have a fantastic show. Uh, all of these playoffs games went to overtime. Fans were talking about them for days and days. You've got new heroes, you've got new villains, you've got new teams. It seems a really vibrant atmosphere. NBA, something similar. You've got you know, big characters, you've got you know, big clubs that are it seems to be a lot more social savvy when it comes to marketing it to fans. Baseball, as much as we love it, and we love it for what it is, seems to be falling behind a wee bit and they are pissing fans off um, if they come up with this every every couple of years. Um, something else just to note when you come into a, a potential condensed season for next year, as much as restrictions have been lifted uh, in, in name only just now in Scotland, across Britain for the last wee while, 
you've still got COVID to deal with. People will still contract COVID. Players suffered from COVID last season. They are suffering from COVID uh, in the UK uh, for football. So you still need to have those considerations in the world of baseball next year. Um, so it's you can't have these condensed games or double headers because it, it's not going to lend itself well. Uh, and the other point, which again, I'm sure anyone that listens to our podcast, please do drop us a line whenever you've got kind of thoughts to either back us up or uh, more interestingly on the contrary. But you've got over 300 free agents who are sitting with a club just now. So you've got kind of 900 players, you've got coaches and fans absolutely begging for spring training to kickstart. But you've also got 300 men out there that do not have a club that are going to be fought over. Um, and historically, you could do that over November, December, January, February. You know, Dave could be all approached by three or four clubs. He travels out to Detroit, he travels to Chicago to negotiate. These men and these clubs have got to make decisions very quickly over who they want and when they want them. Uh, and it's going to be quite an interesting February or March, uh, whenever proceedings kick off and when, when players can sign for clubs again. Um, it, it really is. Because you've got you've got young guys out there going to get invited along to spring training. You've got the old guys, 35, 36, who are maybe looking for that one last contract, who knows? Um, and they've all been gearing up towards spring training, getting their bodies ready. So it's um no, it's it's going to be dog eat dog out there during negotiation periods yeah. to, to sign for new clubs. Fascinating few points there. I'm always as a sports fan, I'm always particularly interested in the one where you mentioned that the possibility of is MLB following behind the other sports. I think we probably collectively between us maybe have American football near the bottom of the the, the list. Um, I've, I've got a trip planned for the States late, late March, early April, where I'm going to both an N, I'm currently planning to go to an NBA and a NHL game. Uh, in fact, NHL coincidentally, and it is a coincidence, of course, I'm hoping to see the Red Wings for the first time. Just um, happen to be where I'm where I'm going to be playing, where I'm going to be. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a worry if baseball falls down the rankings. It's America's game. It's America's pastime. So if, as you say, they keep pissing people off, and the other sports are much more media savvy, then there are problems there for baseball. So let, let's get it fixed. It's a game we love. So let's see how it goes. But I'll I'll also, during the early months of the season, early weeks of the season, report back on my experiences at the, the other games. And I do actually also in that trip hope to fit in an opening day game uh, of the Durham Bulls. So yeah, minor league, but the, the famous Durham Bulls uh, of Bull Durham fame. So opening day, I think, is something like Tuesday the 8th or whatever it is of April. So my, my plan is to to be there and I will report back on that. In terms of the lockout and the financial consequences, I'll maybe just leave the last line to our international correspondent, Dave, because you, one of the players turned down a, a reason, what we might consider a reasonable contract. Yeah, it was something uh, Rob mentioned and uh, it's uh, Juan Soto, who I think he's a free agent now, and he turned down a 13 year deal with um, worth $350 million with um, with the Nationals. 
although in his favour, uh, well, I don't know whether how we would view this here. If a, he said that he would prefer to go, not he, he was less interested in the money and more in playing with a winning team. Now, the Nationals have admitted that they're in a, a rebuilding process, uh, but we both thought, well, he's not going to do too bad wherever he goes, is he? So, um, yeah. you know, he, he, he not only wants the money, he wants to be a winner as well, but... Um, this is what they can. The top players can demand, isn't it? You know, Mookie Betts is on a similar sort of deal. Uh, that Francisco Lindor of the Mets. So um, you know, we'll see what Carlos Correa um, gets out of it. I think uh, I think uh, Rob was hoping that he might end up going with a, a Nationals team so that uh, he doesn't come back to haunt uh, the Astros too often in, yeah. in the regular season. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, as Dave said, it's, it is a bit difficult to feel sorry for um, the, the big guys who are earning these multi-million dollar deals. But it is about fairness, isn't it? You know, and if you're worth uh, that money and the, the players who are at the, um, mm. not the bottom of the pile, but are on the minimum salary, it's about them getting the fair share out of, what is a, a multi-billion dollar yeah. sports industry. So um, Amazing sums of money, and, and without knowing enough about it, my sympathies probably lie with the young guys or the journeymen at the other end of the scale who are part of the entertainment we enjoy, and I've mentioned they're going to minor league games as sports fans. We'd like to maybe see a better distribution of the money. In fairness to Juan Soto, I've always being confused by footballers who might, they're going to be multimillionaires, whatever contract they sign, they might leave their boyhood club um, when they're a multimillionaire to become twice a multimillionaire by going to one of their rivals. I find that a little bit odd, but yeah, if you want to win trophies, um, you've also got to maximise your income. You don't know people's family situations and what have you. So it's as someone who is financially nowhere near those levels, uh, we, we need to go and uh, live with that. So maybe one last thing on the baseball world. Uh, I know February is a, a, a big month for history, young Dave, and I think you might want to chat about something in a future episode that you're conscious of just now. Yeah. Um, so I think Dave done a good piece uh, last year on Black History Month mm -hmm. um, and something as well that I know, Alan, you were really passionate about you've done a, a good bit of research uh, on some some youtube videos yeah uh, some kind of mini documentaries That's but right. so i thought my turn uh, to have a wee look this year and i'm very well aware there's a bit of a, a white Sox legend Minnie minoso so i won't kind of go into spoil it too much but <laughs> he is well known as the cuban jackie robinson and when you look at the numbers involved the stats uh, what he went through uh, again, if you think about the the abuse that Jackie Robinson took, um, we're all very familiar with Jackie and uh, the kind of amazing man that, that he was and what he'd done to to help baseball along the way. Uh, I was really quite interested, you know, firstly a White Sox guy, but then someone with that type of history as well. So uh, I'll be doing a wee button mini Minoso right. uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. So... Uh, it'll be really quite interesting for me. And again, it's a chance to brush up on some White Sox history. Great. 
I think we, we, we look forward to that. We always enjoy a wee bit of history in the bullpen. We hope our listeners do too. So thanks for joining me tonight, gents, and talking about the, the lockout. I appreciate uh, Dave Senior joining us. I know he's in demand around the world. Uh, so <laughs> good he's managed to join us here tonight as well. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you.